0: So there's a, a family in the Bible that we read about in the Old Testament that those of us who are Christians probably think highly of this family. Uh, but those who are not familiar with the Bible, if they were to sit down and read through their story, uh, they might just see them as just a, a dysfunctional family. And to the credit of those who aren't familiar with the Bible, um, there, are, there is some evidence in their story that would make that claim seem like it's not completely unreasonable, that they were just a, a dysfunctional family. And uh, this family certainly had its ups and downs individually, as well as, as a group. Uh, but I suppose that's true of all families, really. You know, if we think about our own, you know, our own, once we extend past our immediate household, if we even need to go that far, uh, if we get into, you know, our grandparents or aunts or uncles or grandchildren, not to mention our in-laws, I don't know how it is with you and your family, but there's a good chance that we start running into a bit of dysfunction before we really go too far. And in any relationship that we have, you know, whether that be familial or with friends, coworkers, or even brothers and sisters in Christ, or even our own relationship with God, uh, there will be issues that come up from time to time, and we'll have to, to handle those issues. And that's when wisdom and patience and forgiveness come into play. Uh, So the family I want to talk about for a little while this evening uh, provides a good example of some of those issues and gives us some practical things that we can think about in our own lives. Uh, So this Old Testament family that I'm referring to is the immediate family of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. And when we read of the life of Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, Uh, There don't really seem to be many issues there. Uh, It's clear that Abraham loved both of his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, very much. He also seemed to care for both Sarah and Hagar. And once Isaac grows up, remember he marries Rebekah. And then at that point we start to see things kind of, I don't know if you'd say fall apart, but it's not quite as rosy as it may have been (laughs) reading about Abraham and his life. Uh, we see that clear preferences begin between Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau and their family. So Jacob and Esau, we remember, were twins, although they weren't identical. We remember that Esau is described as being, you know, more of a a man's man, it seems, when we're reading about him. He was covered in hair, as we read in Genesis chapter 25, and he worked by hunting, Uh, but Jacob was a a smooth-skinned man. Uh, Esau would pack his gear and he would head out into the wilderness, Uh, to track and to hunt animals that he could then bring back home and prepare for his family. So the Bible describes Esau as a skillful hunter and his dad Isaac he favored Esau and he favored his lifestyle he was proud of his son's ability to be able to hunt this wild game and also of Esau's ability to be able to prepare it just right and one of Esau or one of Isaac's favorite meals uh, was the savory meat that his son Esau would fix for him from time Uh, to time over the years and as I'm sure you ladies know one of the quickest ways to a man's heart is through his stomach being a good cook so uh, Esau was the favorite son of Isaac but while Isaac favored Esau we remember that Isaac's wife Rebecca favored Jacob Uh, Jacob was more of a had more of a quiet and gentle disposition uh, than his brother he dwelt in the tents and he worked as a shepherd Now, God had told Rebekah, we remember before these twins were born, that the older, Esau, would end up serving the younger, Jacob. So, you know, I wonder from time to time if perhaps Rebekah's favoring of Jacob was due to her keeping the Lord's words in mind and maybe she was thinking, you know, Jacob is the one who's supposed to excel and supposed to, uh, you know, rule over his brother, Uh, but whether or not that's the reason for her preference, her favoritism, we're not really for sure now me and Jonathan you know my brother uh, we had plenty of arguments when we were younger Uh, I was a horrible sport I was no fun to play with I could be very difficult Uh, but by the time we got to be teenagers Jonathan and I were very close you know whenever I got into high school uh, we would spend lots of time just walking around the woods close to mom and dad's house or through the pastures and just talking for for hours and uh, those are really good memories for me and I'm sure I did things to annoy him even around that time uh, but it wasn't that I ever intentionally tried to take anything from him or, or tried to hurt him in any way once we got to that age. Uh, but Jacob and Esau didn't seem to have this kind of relationship. Uh, we read of Jacob being a pretty shrewd individual and multiple times you know, throughout his life both in his interactions with his brother Esau and with others. And one time, as we're all likely familiar, uh, Esau had been out hunting and he hadn't had any luck. And with Esau, it wasn't like he was just watching the sheep like his brother and his source of food was always there, just right in front of him. Uh, He had to find it, he had to outsmart it, he had to snare it or trap it, and he had to kill it and then prepare it uh, to earn his meal. So on this occasion, uh, Esau was disappointed. His hunt hadn't gone the way that he had hoped it would. So he comes back home and he finds Jacob cooking some lentil stew. And to Esau, he was so hungry, it smelled wonderful. He was famished, and he asked his brother if he could have some of the stew. And surprisingly, uh, Jacob, his response was that he would grant Esau's request, but on the condition that Esau give Jacob his birthright. So that birthright, as we're aware, belonged to Esau as being the firstborn son of Isaac, which meant that you know he would obtain the, the inheritance uh, from Isaac. So whether Esau didn't properly appreciate the value of that birthright or whether he truly thought he was gonna starve to death unless he ate this stew, uh, he agreed to Jacob's condition and he gave up his birthright for that bowl of stew. So as you imagine, uh, this began after this to drive a bit of a wedge between these twin brothers. Uh, Esau resented Jacob for being so greedy Uh, He felt like he swindled him out of his birthright. And I can understand uh, how Esau would be irritated by that. You know, for example, let's say, you know, when I was growing up, let's just say I had a collectible item that was very valuable and very important to me, and my brother Jonathan knew it was very valuable. I didn't have anything like that, but just pretend that I did. Well, when I was in high school, I met Kaylee, and I wanted to take her to the prom. Because we started dating, and this part of the story is true, so I didn't have the valuable collectible, but did meet Kaylee in high school, wanted to take her to the prom. So I I liked my truck all right, but I thought Jonathan's truck was better. Um, It was bigger than mine, it was louder than mine, it was red, so I thought, you know, this will be more impressive to Kaylee if I could take her to the prom in that truck instead of taking her in mine, and you know, if I wash it, it'll even be shiny. So I asked Jonathan, hey, can I borrow your truck to take Kaylee to the prom? So if Jonathan had negotiated a trade for my very valuable collectible item that I loved so much uh, for borrowing his truck that evening, I'm sure I would have looked back on that later uh, as something underhanded for him to have done uh, and to have suggested uh, to take advantage of me at a time that I was making a, a largely emotional decision Uh, didn't really take any sacrifice on his part. It's just, I get to drive your truck for an evening. Uh, He's not really sacrificing anything. And he knew how valuable that item was to me. So similarly, Jacob really wasn't sacrificing anything. It's just a bowl of beans that he's given to his brother. And he asks in exchange for the most valuable thing that Esau owned. So it seems that, you know, at best, this will be a form of usury. But that's what happened. So, you know, there's a lesson to be learned there, I believe, you know, hard feelings can be created and they can be intense and long lasting when we take advantage of other people. And sometimes, you know, we can feel that conflict. It's hard not to do at times. And we need to make sure we're not doing that. You know, to tell another personal story back several years ago, I drove a a Dodge Intrepid. And I think between myself and Kaylee, we ended up owning something like three of them. And my car ended up developing some transmission issues. It was too expensive for me to have the transmission replaced, so I needed to sell it. Naturally, I wanted to get as much money as I could from selling it so I could buy another vehicle. And the transmission didn't act up all the time, it was just sometimes. So when I finally had a lady who wanted to buy it, I kept stressing over and over to her what the issues were with the car, what problems I was having, what my mechanic had said, Uh, Suggesting, you know, hey, go talk to a mechanic yourself and take it if you want to do that. Um, Just trying to make sure I I wasn't misleading her. And as much as I could have said to myself, well, you know, it's not a lie if she doesn't ask if there's a problem with it Um, and she might drive it and it may never have that issue and then I could just not have to talk about it and she'll maybe give me my full asking price. You know that could certainly ruin any relationship with her and damage my reputation with other people that she knows and talks to so there's a difference you know i think sometimes between you know getting a good a good deal on something and taking advantage of other people and it certainly seems that jacob had taken advantage of his brother esau in this scenario so As we move on sometime later, you may remember that Jacob and Esau's father Isaac was beginning to grow older in years, and Isaac decided, hey, it's getting to that point, I need to go ahead and bless my two sons before I pass away. So Isaac called Esau to him and announced uh, that he was gonna pronounce his blessing upon him. So Isaac called, uh, so I'm sure this is a, a great moment for Esau Because, you know, Isaac may have heard about Jacob's exchange for Esau's birthright. However, this blessing that he would give Esau, his favorite son, uh, was much greater than, you know, that birthright, really. The birthright would give him the physical inheritance of what his father owned. But this blessing that he was going to pass down to Esau, you know, this is God's blessings. And the one with God's blessings uh, would certainly fare better than the one with the inheritance of a man. So after announcing his plan, uh, Isaac tells Esau he will pronounce this blessing to him once he had time to go hunting, uh, kill his game, and prepare that savory meat that Isaac loved so much. And certainly this would be uh, a great time, a great memory for Esau, uh, his dad that he's so close to. They get to have this moment that he receives this blessing. So after hearing his father's words, he doesn't hesitate. Uh, He takes off out of the tent, grabs his gear, and goes Uh, in search of his father's dinner. So as we remember, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, hearing this proposal, summoned her son Jacob and crafted a plan by which Jacob could swoop in and snatch this last hope of Esau's. Uh, We read in Genesis chapter 27 how Rebekah assists Jacob in putting together a disguise that would make Jacob seem to his blind father Isaac uh, to be Esau remember how he slaughtered the goat to prepare the meal, but also used the skins of the goat uh, to place on his hands and on the back of his neck to make him seem like he was hairy like his brother Esau and how uh, Rebecca advised him to wear one of the, one of the garments of Esau that would smell like Esau would smell, you know just trying to think of, of anything that uh, Isaac might be able to catch on to sensory wise since he didn't have his vision. Uh, Where they could try to disguise Jacob as much as possible, and then they cooked this meal that would remember, that would resemble uh, the savory dish that Isaac had asked Esau to prepare for him. So, as they're going through with this, and as Jacob is, you know, entering into the tent and he's speaking with his father, he's he's nervous. He's a bit unsure about this trick. Um, He's going to have to speak to him. This might be easier to, you know, wear this garment and to put that goat skin on his hands and and have this meal that tastes kind of like his brother's. But what if he recognizes his voice? So, you know, Jacob's nervous, but he obeyed his mother followed her directions. And once again, I don't know if this effort from Rebecca was due to her remembrance of God's statement that Jacob was to be the greatest of the two brothers or what, but after several nerve-wracking moments while deceiving his father, Jacob exits his father's tent, the recipient of great blessings from the Lord. So at this point, we can safely say Jacob has lived up to the meaning of his name, uh, supplanter or one who usurps the place of another, especially through intrigue or underhanded tactics is what the name Jacob meant. So while Rebecca and Jacob were likely rejoicing over their success of Jacob having received this blessing from his father, Esau is returning from his hunt. He's had some luck this time, but it wasn't a, a bad trip. He He has it in hand and he's preparing this animal just the way he remembers his father Isaac, liking it. And perhaps, you know, Rebecca and Jacob watch nervously as Esau carries this meal into Isaac's tent. Perhaps they hear the cries of confusion from Isaac and from Esau as both of them start to slowly realize what it was that had taken place not too long before. So Esau, needless to say, is furious. Not only did Jacob take his birthright from him, he took his father's blessing from him, too. So Esau decides there there will be justice. So Esau determines that he will wait until after Isaac dies and he'll kill Jacob. He loves his. er, So, you know, in a way, yeah, he's just decided to kill his brother. And that's obviously a bad thing. But at the same time, you know, as we read that, I think this is kind of an admirable trait for Esau at the same time, Um, because Esau decides, you know, even in the midst of his anger, he's thinking about his father. Uh, He loves Isaac. He knows that Isaac didn't mean to give the blessing to Jacob. He knows that he was tricked out of it. He knows that the news of this deception is just as heartbreaking to Isaac as it is to himself, if not more so. And in his anger, the last thing that Esau wants to do, no matter how much he hates his brother at this time, is to cause any additional heartbreak to to Isaac, to cause him any more anxiety and sadness. Uh, Isaac is getting up in years, and he doesn't want to to make his life any harder than it has to be. So that you know, makes me think about myself. Um, you know, how good am I at controlling myself and my emotions? You know, when I get upset. How often do I think about how my actions and words are going to affect somebody else when I'm angry? Uh, it's interesting that Esau only says he's going to wait until Isaac dies. He doesn't say, well, I'll wait till my father and my mother die, and then I'll kill Jacob. He just says, I'll wait till my father dies, and then I'm going to kill Jacob. Uh, so while Esau decides not to kill Jacob immediately, apparently he announces this plan to someone, whether he tells it to Isaac or or what it is. Uh, so this word gets back to Rebecca uh, that Esau is set on murder. So she warns Jacob about the danger he's in. And in Genesis chapter 27, verses 42 through 45, uh, Rebecca makes a, an interesting statement that I'll read there. Uh, starting in verse 42 of chapter 27, she says, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And to me, the most interesting thing in those verses is the last question that she asks. So what does she mean when she says, why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? If Esau kills Jacob, Jacob's the only one that's dead. So what does she mean by you both, be bereaved of you both in one day? Well, I would imagine it's likely because Esau was aware of Rebekah's part that she played in counseling uh, Jacob in the taking of his blessing. So although Esau is not dead, uh, perhaps he may as well be to Rebekah at this point. It's possible that Esau is determined that, you know, he's done with his mother. So Jacob leaves his home and he heads out to find his uncle Laban and to find a suitable wife. And I'm not going to spend too much time, you know, here discussing Jacob's time with Laban. I mainly want to focus on uh, Jacob and Esau's story here. Uh, but I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, what goes around comes around. And you report so well, Jacob had played the deceiver and the manipulator for quite a while and now he becomes the deceived and the manipulated himself and the blessing that he looks forward to the most his beautiful bride-to-be Rachel is swapped out at the last moment on his wedding night for her older sister Leah and in Genesis chapter 31 we read that Laban had changed Jacob's wages 10 times for keeping his flock Laban had something that Jacob wanted He took advantage of Jacob to get what he wanted from him, similarly to how Esau had some things that Jacob had wanted in the past and took advantage of his brother and his father in order to get them. But finally, several years later, it's time for Jacob to leave his uncle's house and to go back home. So he's had enough of living with his father-in-law. He has wives. He has several children. He has a great flock. He has servants. And he sets out to travel back home to be with his father Isaac in his final days but he's afraid so even though jacob knows that god has been with him he's been watching over him he uh you know spoke about that with laban uh, even after laban had i believe caught up with him uh, when he and his family were leaving was talking about how god was watching out for him and his well-being and he had saw how laban had treated him Uh, but so he he knows that god has been watching out for him but he's becoming uneasy it's been several years since he's been home but the last he's heard Uh, Esau wanted him dead. So Jacob readies presents for Esau uh, as they're making this trip back in order to try to appease his anger. Uh, He doesn't hold ill will towards Esau. (laughs) Jacob doesn't. Uh, He wants them to be on good terms again. And once again, for sake of time, I won't go into all the details, but word is brought to Esau that, hey, Jacob's coming home and he's returning with everything that he has, his wife, his kids, everything that's important to him, everything he owns is, is coming back home. So Jacob is nervously waiting for his servants to come back with word from Esau, whether favorable or unfavorable. And when they return, they tell him nothing other, as far as we know, than, well, Esau's on his way, and he has 400 men with him. So we see that Esau has resources, He's not a poor man. He's a hunter. He's been a hunter from his youth. Many of his companions, I would imagine, are probably also in a similar occupation. So they're probably a lot of those 400 men that are coming with him are hunters as well. So not that shepherds are pushovers. I remember from reading about uh, David and encounters that he had with uh, lions and various uh, challenges while he was watching the sheep. Um, That could be a very difficult job, but you know, these shepherds might be at a bit of a disadvantage trying to defend themselves against such a large group. So uh, Jacob's becoming very nervous. So at this point, you know, Esau has a choice. He can hold on to that resentment from years past. He can maintain his commitment to kill his brother. And, you know, looking at it from one perspective, if he kills Jacob and all of his descendants, he might even be able to work this out Uh, to where he would inherit all of his father's goods, you know, in the end anyway, despite the deal that was struck over that bowl of stew years ago. So, you know, this is another point where I would like to to pause for just a minute. Um, Unfortunately, it's nearly impossible to go through life without somebody offending us, Uh, you know, whether that's in a large way or whether that's in a small way. Uh, Somebody may have picked on you while you were in school. Somebody might have pressured you into something that you later regretted. Someone who you thought was a friend to you may have snubbed you when uh, they were around others that they thought were more important than you were. Uh, Your boss may have overlooked you for a promotion or intentionally blocked you from an opportunity that you should have had. Someone may have stolen from you. Your spouse may have let you down in some way. Your child for whom you spent the best years of your life raising and caring for may not have anything to do with you now that they're grown. And in these cases, it can be our instinct to hold a grudge, to look for an opportunity to get even in the future if we're given the chance. And we may even get some kind of joy at time out of the misfortune of somebody who's done wrong to us. So we're all faced with the same set of choices that Esau had. You now, Esau could hold on to that grudge, and he could follow through on his promise to get even with his brother, or he could forgive. And that was completely Esau's decision to make. And in Genesis chapter 33, we read of Esau's decision. To Jacob's great surprise and relief, Esau, when he sees Jacob, instead of, you know, berating him, yelling at him, attacking him, any of those things, we read that he rushes to Jacob, but not to hurt him. He rushes to him to embrace him and he chooses to forgive him. So you know, all of Jacob's actions up to this point had been motivated by the expectation of being attacked. But as we said, Esau didn't even do so much as scold Jacob. In fact, whenever Jacob is offering this huge present uh, to Esau of the goats and the sheep and the donkeys and the cows and the camels. You know, Esau doesn't even look at this as an opportunity to take something that he believes was taken from him in the first place. Instead, his initial reaction was to tell Jacob, hey, keep it, you know, I have enough already. This isn't necessary to send me all these gifts. So a few lessons I think we can <clears throat> take from that. You know, lesson number one, I was just saying that time heals all wounds. You know, that's not universally true, but in a lot of cases, I think it is true. You know for me personally when i get irritated over something if i sleep on it you know the next day when i wake up i'm usually over it you know i I may realize that i was over overreacting about the situation um, but my brain resets overnight or after i have some time and i'm able to think more clearly uh, be more mature about the situation and and move on so rebecca's plan You know, for Jacob to leave and, you know, get some space and have some time away from his brother while he was so angry um, was a wise one. And while it would be best to reconcile, it would be best to reconcile with the one we're angry with before the sun sets, as the uh, advice that Paul gives uh, to those in Ephesus and Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. And also, you know, we read uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, how... Uh, Jesus is teaching that if we come before the altar to offer our gift, and we remember we have a brother that has something against us, to go make that right before we uh, make that offering at the altar. Um, while it's best to to reconcile these things as quickly as we can, sometimes it's wise to give some time for our initial reaction and our initial emotions to settle down a bit before confronting the one that we're angry toward. Another lesson Uh, An obvious one uh, with this story is forgiveness. You know, what makes this story so beautiful is not that Jacob and his brother became wealthy. Uh, What's beautiful about this story uh, isn't that Esau wasn't successful in killing Jacob. Uh, What makes this story beautiful is that despite these old wounds between the brothers, both of them, not just one, both of them desired to be reconciled to each other. Both were willing to sacrifice in order to restore their relationship. Esau was willing to forgive his brother and not just forgive him uh, in return for some favor from Jacob to make up for his wrongdoing. Um, Esau didn't require anything of Jacob. He wanted to just restore their good standing with each other. So you know, we need to make sure we're not being the one who refuses to forgive and move forward whether it's at the forefront of your mind or not uh, when you're harboring a grudge it is there it's inside of your mind and it's going to slowly eat away at you and your peace of mind until you're able to to let that go and give that forgiveness and we all need to take a lesson in forgiveness here from esau from time to time and then a third lesson you know of contentment you now it's something that we as humans struggle with a lot uh, we always seem to be looking forward to something else. We want to be making progress all the time, um, especially in this country. Um, many of us are obsessed with the next new thing. I remember a little while back, um, Matthew had given a lesson that I could, and part of that I could relate to uh, very well. He was talking about, you know, a vehicle or maybe a, a bike or something like that that he was interested in. Um, and these things were, you know, believed to bring a higher level of satisfaction had those things and you know we can all relate to that Uh, a lot of times we're all looking for something of value something more than we have you know I did that with guitars I had a a entry-level Fender acoustic guitar that I had been going to lessons and practicing and I was making some progress but I thought man you know if I had a, a better guitar you know I'm sure it would motivate me to play more because I have a better guitar it's gonna sound better than the one that I have It's probably going to be a little easier to to fret the notes and stuff because it's just a higher quality. So I'm sure I'll be a lot better player and a lot less time if I could add that. So I I bought myself a nice Taylor K24CE guitar. It has Koa wood on it, and it's the most beautiful uh, guitar that I could ever, ever own. And it sounds nice when you play it. It's a beautiful guitar. But don't ask me how long it's been since I played that guitar. Uh, if you consulted my fingertips, uh, you would know that it's been a long time since I've tried to play any notes on that guitar. A commitment is something, or contentment is something that I lack uh, far too many times. That results in a lot of wasted focus, a lot of wasted money at times in the long run. Uh, so I can you know, certainly take a lesson from Esau here, you know, he had a perfect opportunity to gain more. Uh, He didn't even have to cheat his brother out of it. In this case, his brother was offering him all of these gifts, uh, just saying he was sorry. I wanted to reconcile with him. Um, But Esau told Jacob, you know, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Now, Jacob wasn't going to take no for an answer. So we read that Jacob kept pressing him and pressing him. that He really wanted him to accept that gift until finally Esau did accept. But Esau's initial reaction was, hey, I'm content with what I have. I have enough. Uh, I don't need more. Uh, Esau even offered assistance to Jacob and his company for the remainder of their travel back home. Uh, He was going to leave some of his people with Jacob uh, to try to help them, but Jacob insisted that they were fine to complete that journey on their own. So finally, in my mind, uh, as we go through this story of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Esau and following this family, uh what I see is really the crowning moment of this formerly dysfunctional family is in Genesis chapter 35, verses 27 through 29. And there it says, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abram or where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, a man of ripe age, an old man of ripe age, and his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. You know, what a what a great picture and what a great turnaround for this family. Despite disagreements and differences and outright hatred that existed in the past, when Isaac was up in years, he was in his last days, both Jacob and Esau were present with him. They had reconciled with one another and they were focused on what was most important. They weren't quarreling over the past. Uh, the two brothers were united and they were present in respect for their father and in love for each other. And I, I can't think of a more encouraging way that that could have taken place. So, you know, while it seems like this family had gotten off to a, a bumpy start, In the beginning and many times as we progress through their history we may think to ourselves you know what's wrong with these people like these are the people God chose out of everybody could have chose he picked these that are playing favorites and they're swindling their own brother and they're trying to kill each other what is wrong with this what was God thinking this is one of the great families Jacob becomes Israel you know God has given us insight into the events of their lives and how they grew over time and you know that's It's really the case for all of us, except for Jesus Christ, no matter how great we may think some of the men or women that we read about in the Bible were, all of them had their shortcomings. All of them had their temptations, all of them had their struggles, and all of them had need of God's forgiveness. He didn't choose anyone to be a prophet or a leader of his people because they were perfect, just like us. But what separates these great men and women that we read about in the Bible is that they grew. They matured over time. Nobody was perfect on day one. Uh, many even, you know, tried to reject the the form of service that God was calling them into. You know, whether it was Moses or whether it was uh, Jeremiah or Esther or, uh, you know, there were or Gideon. You know, we had several that whenever they were or Jonah, when they were called by God, just flat out uh, were rejecting that that call in the beginning but they matured over time. As their lives continued on they continued in faithfulness to God and not perfectly. They weren't uh, faithful you know perfectly. Um, they needed God's mercy and grace just like we do, but they grew over time just like we should. And I think we can all take lessons from this family you know whether it's the harms of taking advantage of others, how that damages relationships and our reputation. The wisdom of, you know, taking some space, let our emotions calm down when we're upset about something, and before we make a decision that we may regret. You know, that doesn't apply only to the emotion of anger that we may be having at a time. Um, you know, it could be an attraction to someone else or whatever it may be. You know, we need to to take a moment when we feel our emotions raging. You know, whatever it is take a step back take a little bit of time and you know think it through to make sure we don't make a decision we regret. Uh, the story also you know makes us take a look at the beauty of contentment and forgiveness and if we live our lives right hopefully you know the same will be able to be said about us as we can say about uh, Jacob and Esau through their relationship you know that we, we grew over time we weren't perfect. Uh, But the overall trajectory of our lives was toward love of God, love of others, and ever-increasing fruitfulness in the vineyard of the Lord. So I'm very thankful for this history that God allows us to read about. I hope it's been encouraging and beneficial uh, to you, too, uh, going through this story. I think it's a, a very good one. So hopefully it gives us something to think about and apply in the coming days.